the eleventh chapter of Hilchas Malva Valeva, the laws regarding a lender and a borrower. Today's parak contains eleven halachas and deals with the difference between an oral loan and one done with a document and various details of how and from what one is able to collect this loan. Perek HaChadoser, the 11th chapter, Halacha Aleph. In this Halacha, the Rambam gives the general difference between a written loan and an oral loan. Halacha Aleph. Hamalve Yeschavere Bifme'edim, if one person lends another in front of witnesses, Oisha Omar La'edim, or he tells the witnesses, Heyu Alai Edim Shani Chayev Lozeh Manna, that you can be witnesses against me, that I owe this person a manna. Or he tells the witnesses that you are my witnesses, that I owe him one mana. In any of these cases, where he appoints the witnesses with such an expression, this is called an oral loan. And the law is that when it comes time for the borrower to repay, he does not need witnesses present. The law of the Talmud is, that if someone lends with witnesses, he need not return with witnesses. He can return the loan, even should there be no witnesses. Only if there is a document, the shtar, which has been written, only then must there be witnesses to testify to the return. But since in any of these cases it's a milva alpe, he need not return it in the presence of witnesses. Therefore, should a dispute erupt later on, im tan va'omer achar kach paraiti, if afterwards the borrower should claim that he has paid it back, Nishpa Hesas Vanifter. He merely takes a rabbinic oath and then is exempt from repayment. That since he did not need to repay in the presence of witnesses, we believe him with his claim that he paid back already. However, since there is a claim against him, just as in any other case where there is a direct contradiction between the claimants, the law is that an oath must be taken by rabbinic decree. So since he has been accused not of having paid back, he must take an oath by rabbinic decree to deny it since he is a kafir hakol, he is completely denying the claim against him, he takes an oath by rabbinic decree and need not pay. But when the loan is with a document, the borrower is required to repay in the presence of, uh, in the presence of witnesses. And therefore, if when the lender brings his document for collection and the borrower claims that he has already paid it back, we do not believe him that since he should have done it in the presence of witnesses and he has no witnesses to produce, he is not believed. Because otherwise, what is the lender doing still holding on to the document? If he already would have repaid the debt, the document would be returned to him. Therefore, we tell him, He is not believed. But we tell him, Either bring witnesses that you've paid, Or else stand up and pay back this that you owe. And since there is this great difference between an oral and a written loan, lefichach, therefore, ha'omer la'edim, someone that tells witnesses, ha'yu alai edim shani chayev lozeb mana, that you should be my witnesses that I owe this person a mana. Are they allowed to write down what they have been told? Ein kais v'neidusam v'neisam v'malva. They are not allowed to write down their testimony and give this to the lender, to give him a document. In order that they should not convert what was really an oral 
an oral loan to Edus Bestar to be to giving testimony on a document. Because if they give it on a document later on, the Malve, the lender will be able to collect even if the borrower says Paraiti, which he should not be able to do since it was really only an oral law. He did not tell them to write it down in a document. Therefore, they are forbidden from writing it down in a document until the borrower tells them specifically write a document, sign it, and give it to him, give it to the lender. And and even if he told them all of these things, they should write it, sign it, and give it over. Nevertheless, that they are all, they are still required to consult in the borrower after they have signed this document, and and only only after that, can they give the document over to the lender? That although he asked them. To write a document and even to give it over to the to the lender. Nevertheless, they must ask first because perhaps he never really borrowed the money. Let's say that he did not tell the witnesses specifically to write a document, but he did an act of Kenyan. Kenyan, as is normally referred to, is referring to Kenyan Sudar or Kenyan Chlippin, that the two parties involved pick up a garment or something of this sort to show official agreement for the transaction. And in this case, if there should have been a, a Kenyan from one hand to the other, meaning that they did such a Kenyan Sudr that one owes the other a mana, witnesses to this Kenyan are allowed to write down and give the document over to the lender, even if the borrower did not tell them to write it down. Why? That regular, regular case of Kenyan means that the person wanted it written down. And they don't even have to consult him before they give it over. That when one makes a Kenyan, there is nothing to be done afterwards. The Kenyan already makes the obligation to repay. And this is even stronger in a way than writing a document. Therefore, they do not even need to consult with the borrower before they give the document to the lender. Halacha base. In this and the following halacha, the Ramam will define exactly when alone is called Bishtar with a document and when it is called Balpeh, an oral one. A borrower who wrote a document with his own handwriting and he wrote that I, giving his name, owe you, writing down the lender, a certain amount of money. However, no witnesses sign on the document, which of course would definitely make it a meal of a Bishtar. However, although they do not sign, Behaid by Edim Shen the witnesses testified that he actually did borrow the money and then the document is given to the to the malva to the lender so over here do we call it an oral one since the witnesses did not sign the document or do we call it a loan with a star since they are testifying to the truth of what's in the document this is a valid document says the Rambam and it's called the milva bestar and so too in cause of star so too, if he wrote a document and witnesses do not sign in the document, and so too there were no witnesses for the transaction. To begin with, there were no witnesses. However, the document was given to the lender in front of witnesses. Only There were only witnesses, in other words, on the transfer of this document when the borrower gives it to the lender. This is also called a, a loan by by document. However, 
This is only if it was written in such a way that it could not be forged, such as a permanent ink or the sort of uh, written on a surface where a forgery would be recognized. And so too, the witnesses that it is given over in front of must read the content of the document. And there are some of the Ga'inim who ruled more strictly. That the borrower is required to tell the witnesses who are, who are witnessing the transfer of this document. Sign and testify that it was handed over in front of you. In other words, that the witnesses must not only witness that it is transferred, but the witnesses must also write and sign another document testifying to the fact that they witnessed the giving over the document. Halacha Gimel. Let's say the lender produced a document with the handwriting of the borrower saying that he owes money. However, there are no witnesses to this. In this case, even though the Jewish court has already made a definite determination that it is his handwriting, they have not determined that the content of the document is true, that he owes the money, but they have determined that it is his handwriting. This is considered to be an oral agreement, as far as everything is concerned. And therefore, as we explained in Allah Aleph, if he claims that he already paid this loan, he must take a rabbinic oath to deny the claim against him, and then he is exempt from further payment. And although we might think that since there is a document, an IOU in the hands of the lender, we might ask, if you already paid, why is he still holding the document? However, since it is only a weak document without witnesses, it is very possible that he was not makti, did not care about getting the document in return, since it anyway cannot be used to collect. And therefore, we believe his claim and he is exempt after he takes the oath. And so too, another law relating to mil pair and or alone, the aim gave a He cannot use this document to collect from the heirs of the borrower or from the lukuchais, anyone that bought land from this borrower. In other words, even should he admit that he does owe the money, the, the money can only be collected from him himself and not any of the heirs because it's always possible that their father did pay off the loan and they just don't know about it. Therefore, it cannot be reclaimed from them. And so to the Lekuches, someone that bought land from this borrower, we do not say, as we, as we will explain in the next halacha, that in the case of a document with a shtar, along with a document, that all of the belongings of the borrower or meshubat are bound to repay this loan which he is now which he has now incurred in the case of a mil pay it's only the movable objects which he has in his possession which are subjugated to repaying the loan not any of the land and therefore if someone bought in between lands one of the lukuches one cannot seize the land from him since this is only considered a mil pay an oral loan Allah Chadalit later on in Perak Yudches the Rambam will explain at more length the idea of collecting a debt from the Lekuches, from people that have bought in the interim. However, here in Allah Chadal, it will be important to give the basic outlines of this principle, that if Reuven has lent money to Shimon, Shimon's belongings are meshubad, are subjugated to the repayment of this loan. Should Shimon be unable to pay, his belongings can be seized by Reuven in order to cover the payment. Therefore, if someone buys 
what, any, any objects which belong to Shimon, he must realize that these objects have a lien on them, that the Reuben could always grab them back, that since he had really no right to buy them in the first place, in the event that Shimon does not repay his loan, Reuben can go directly to Levi, a third party who bought objects such as land from Shimon and reclaim the object from Shimon. However, this is not in every case. We look and see whether it was possible for the buyer to know that there was a lien, a previous claim, on this land or on these objects. And the Lashon HaGemara, Yesh was there a voice, meaning did everybody know about it? Was everyone capable of finding out that there was previously a lien on this property? Or was it unable for him to find out? In the case where he was able to find out Yesh then he is responsible and he shouldn't have bought it in the first place. However, if it ain't Lekeil, he anyway had no way of finding out, we do not penalize him. And as the Rambam now explains, this is the difference between an oral loan and one which is in writing. Call Neil Vibashtar, any loan which was written in a document, one can collect it from the heirs and also from the Lakuches, from people that bought property from the borrower in the interim. Kamashi is bought, as we'll explain later, in apparently referring to Perak Yudchas. That since there was a lien on the property before, one can grab this property from the Lakuches, from the buyers, in order to repay the debt. However, should it be an oral loan, one can collect from the heirs, but one is not allowed to collect it from the buyers. Because there is no voice, meaning no one knows that there was a previous lien on this property. And therefore, one cannot grab the property away from the buyers, since we cannot penalize the buyers, they had no way of knowing that there was a lien on it. This is all in an oral loan. However, if the loan was done with a document, there is a kale. There is news which has spread about this transaction. And the one that buys from the borrower lost him, himself caused the loss of his money. Because he did not ask around to know that these belongings, this property, was already subjugated to the repayment of the loan which Shimon must pay from previously. Because all of the belongings of the borrower are subject to the repayment of the of the loan, Minateira by Torah law. And since the Shibuda the Araisa that Ambam decides, as the Riftos, that this that all of his belongings are subjugated to repay the loan is by Torah law. Therefore, as long as there is a kale and there's a way of him finding out about it, we hold him responsible. But in the case of Emil Valpeh, even though the Shibud is Midianaisa, the sage has said, since there is no way of him finding out, we cannot hold him responsible and take the land away from him. With a document they can. Halacha hey. And this halacha that Ramam will show that the difference that we make between a loan with writing or only with witnesses applies only to the case of a loan. Because in the case of a document, there is publicity. Whereas in the case of witnesses, there is no publicity. However, in the case of a sale, there is always publicity. If one sells his field to another person with witnesses, not with a document, and, and however, the seller previously owed money. Let's say Reuben was, uh, lent money to Shimon. And then Shimon sold his field to Levi. 
So when when Amechar Sadeo Ba'edim is Shimon sold Levi the field with witnesses. The Yotzus Mitachas Yadeo Lakeach. And then the field was taken away from the buyer Levi by Reuben. Since Shimon owed Reuben money. And Reuben's land was Meshubah, subject to the repayment of this loan. Reuben grabs the field away from Levi. So in this case, we want to know what right does Levi have? When Levi wants to come back to Shimon later on to claim, reclaim his money, and Shimon does not have what to pay him back, is it called an oral agreement between Shimon and Levi since there were only witnesses? Or do we give it the strength of a written agreement and allow him to collect even from land? So the Rambam rules. Even though there is no document in the property of the buyer, Levi has no document since the whole transaction was only with witnesses. Nevertheless, he is nevertheless allowed to grab away from Shimon's land any land which might have come into the end of Shimon. After this transaction, which is called Mishubodim, land which is Mishubod, to the repayment of Shimon's debts, should there be any land there, Levi is allowed to, to take it. Kamoshi Yisbar, as will be explained later on in Perak Chafalev. Why, is, why do we allow him? Don't we say, as we said in Halacha Dalit, that if there is no document, the ain't lay called, there's no publicity. So the Raman says, that a sale is different from a, from a loan. Anyone that sells something sells it publicly. Since he wants people to know about it, he, he puts out the word, so he'll have plenty of people bidding. And there is already publicity on it. And therefore, we hold somebody responsible if they did not know that since Shimon publicized, that he wants to sell his field and eventually sold it to Levi. Everyone should know that he owes Levi this, this, this money. And later on, should Shimon sell something to someone else, he must be aware that Levi is going to come later and grab it away from him, since Shimon has a previous debt. Therefore, it's considered Yesh Lako, and he, Levi can grab from the Mishubodim. Allah above. In this halacha, the Rambam discusses under what conditions a verbal loan can be collected from the heirs. In al-Khadala, the Rambam said that from a, a, a written loan, one can collect from lokuches, from the buyers, and from the heirs, whereas a, a written loan can be connected, collected only from the heirs, not from the lokuches. Nevertheless, in Allah Gimel, we mentioned that in a case where the borrower could claim that he already paid back the loan, he is exempt. And so, too, we exempt the heirs because they could claim, and, and we claim for them that their father already paid off the loan. In this halacha, the Raman gives three cases in which, nevertheless, it can be collected from the heirs, since in these cases they cannot claim that their father paid the loan. A verbal loan can only be collected from the heirs in one of the following three ways. First of all, when the, person, when the borrower admitted that he owes the money, that in the midst of his illness, before he died, he commanded that he still owes somebody money. So in this case, you cannot claim for the heirs that he already paid because on his deathbed he says that he still owes the money. Or a second case, the loan was meant to be repaid in a certain time. And the time has not yet reached for it to be repaid. 
The chazaki he shein adam pareya b'seich zmane. And the assumption is that a person doesn't pay back a loan before the established time. That a person does not pay back a loan early. It's a machlekes in the Gemara. And the Rambam rules that one does not pay, the chazaki is one would not pay back a loan early. And therefore, we cannot claim that he already paid back. Since at the time he died, that time has not yet been reached. And a third case, Aishinidu Achayitain, or the Jewish court placed him in Nidoi, in excommunication, until he pays back the loan, forcing him to pay back. And while he was still under a ban of Nidoi, he died. And so too in this case, we cannot claim that he already paid back, because obviously he did not, he was still in Nidoi. So therefore, call Elu In any of these three cases, the lender can collect from the heirs without even taking an oath that he has not yet been paid. But in any other cases, that witnesses come to say that the deceased father owed someone money, or that he borrowed the money in front of us. In any of these cases, Eino min klum. We do not collect anything from the heir because perhaps it was repaid. And although the heir does not know that it was repaid, we nevertheless make this claim for him. Because someone that borrowed only with witnesses and without a document does not have to repay in the presence of witnesses. And so too... If the lender produced a handwritten document from their father that he owed money, but there were no witnesses, still he cannot collect anything as we explained previously in Allah Gimel. Since the handwriting of their father does not make an Amil V'Bashtar, it is still considered a verbal obligation. Allah Zayim. In this halacha, the Rambam will describe whether the loan should be collected from metaltaline, movable objects, or from karka, from land. In Panak Aleph, Halacha Dalit, of Hilchas Malva Voleva, we explained that in the case of recovering a loan, one should first recover from the metaltaline, the movable objects, before recovering from karka, from land. That even though by Torah law there is no shibut of metaltaline, that the movable objects are not subject to repayment of a loan by, by rabbinic decree they are and furthermore since in this case money was borrowed which is, which is similar to movable objects the understanding is that if money was lent it will be returned in the same fashion or at least a similar fashion with movable objects if there are no movable objects however the, the money can be collected from land so Allah Hazayin the borrower who is unable to pay his loan, and it is not time to recover it. And he has no movable objects, which are preferable, but he does have land. But if it is known to the court that he is concealing his money in other people's hands to make it appear that he has no movable objects in order that the lender will be forced to reclaim the loan from the land, we force the borrower to sell some of the land and give the money to the lender. 
However, if we do not know that he is hiding money and it appears that he has no movable objects and only has his land, we declare a chedem against someone that knows that he has movable objects and does not bring them back. And then we go to the, inter- the land of immediate medium value which he has and we take it and uh, sell it in order to, to um, pay off the lender as the seder of collecting from land will be explained in Perakut Tess however when does this apply that we collect from movable objects only when we are collecting from the borrower himself but if we are coming to collect from the heirs of the borrower, whether below age or whether grown, we cannot collect from the movable objects. And furthermore, even if these movable objects have not yet come into the hands of the heirs, they have not come into the hands of the estate, since they were in someone else's hands when their father died, even if they were left as a pikodin, as a security by someone else, or or it was a loan that someone else has, it was in their hands nevertheless, even though at the time the father died, it's still in the hands of the one that borrowed money from their father or a because in security in their hands and did not go into their estate. Nevertheless, it still is called within the possession of the Yusemim, of the heirs, and one cannot collect from it. And what is the reason? By Torah law, movable objects are not subject to collection of a, of a debt. Only land is. Therefore, when the borrower was alive, the lender could collect his loan from the movable objects by rabbinic decree. But that's only an arrangement which was made between the lender and borrower. Once the borrower dies, the heirs have no such takana. There is no such law regarding the heirs. What business do they have of their movable objects which they have now inherited to the Baal Chayv, to the, to the lender? That since it is only by Torah law, there is no connection between them. And there was no rabbinic decree regarding the metaltaline, the movable objects of Yusemim, they have no obligation to pay back from there. And therefore, one cannot collect from the movable objects of the Yusemim. Halachaches. But nevertheless, even though they are not obligated to do so, mitzvah al yusemim lifreya cheva bi aviyah mina matatlin sheiniach. It is nevertheless a mitzvah, a positive thing for the heirs to pay off their father's debt from any, from the movable objects which he left them, not from the movable objects which they themselves have necessarily that they're not required to do. But from this that they have inherited, it is a mitzvah for them to, to, to pay off their father's debt. And this is because of the mitzvah of kibud av, of honoring their father, that it is not proper that they should allow their father to have died without having paid off his loans. And therefore, to honor him, they should pay it off themselves. However, if the heir does not want to pay the debt, we cannot force him. As the law is, that any case where there is a mitzvah and the Torah tells us explicitly the reward for this mitzvah such as the case of honoring one's father that the Chumash says explicitly that one has, is rewarded by long days in such a case the Jewish court does not force him to fulfill the mitzvah since he's already promised a reward we shouldn't have to force him and so too in this case if he does not want to honor his father we don't force him to do it 
However, if the lender grabbed some of these movable objects before the borrower died, he is allowed to collect from them. That since the borrower was still alive and the heirs have no have no possession over them, and one would be allowed to collect from movable objects from a borrower before he dies, if he happens to have grabbed them, he is allowed to collect from them. However, let's say this itself should be under dispute. That the lender claims he grabbed it away before he died. And the heir claims that it was grabbed after the father died, and since it was grabbed later, it really belonged to him, it belonged to the heir. It is the requirement of the heir to bring a proof that it was grabbed after the father died. Oy, and if not, if there is no proof, the, the lender has to swear that the, the father owed him such and such an amount of money, and we will believe his claim up to the amount, the worth of the object he grabbed, and he concludes in this oath that he grabbed it while the borrower was still alive. And in that case, we will believe him and he will not have to return the object. Let us say, however, the object which is under dispute as to when it was grabbed was not a regular object. It was a shtar, a document proving that money was owed. Let's say the objects which were grabbed by the lender were documents. Documents which belonged to the, to the borrower, which proved that other people owed him money. And he grabbed these documents, and now that he will be able to collect it in order to cover the money owed to him by the borrower. And the lender claims that it was a mashkan, that these documents were given to him as security for the loan, and that he grabbed them when the borrower was still alive. And the law is, as we explained in Petr Gimel, of these halachas, that a mashkan, security, is, does not get handed over to the heirs in the event that the borrower dies. And he claims that this was a mashkan. In this case, it is not the requirement, the onus of proof is not on the heir, over here the onus of proof is on the, on the lender to prove that he grabbed it when, it was still, when the borrower was still alive. And in this case, if he is unable to prove it, he must give these documents back to the heirs. Why? Because this is not the regular case of grabbing an object. Over here, his claim is not that he took possession of these documents. The document itself is worthless. The only thing the document is good for is for, for the evidence which they contain. He is grabbing the raya. He is grabbing them for their evidence. But the, the shtar itself is not something which one can grab. The, the document itself is worthless. And therefore, when these documents were taken as security, he didn't have in mind to actually acquire the document. For that, one would have to make another document showing that he acquired the document, as the Rambam says in Hilchus Mechira. He does not require the document. He only is the use of this document for the evidence which, which they contain. Therefore, and since he does not normally acquire the document, we don't believe him until he has proof. In the earlier case where he grabbed an object, he could always have claimed that he had bought this object, and the heirs would have no proof against him. And therefore he has a migoy. Since I would have a better claim, which you could not oppose, I can claim that I bought it, therefore you could, should believe me with my claim that I grabbed it from him before death. But in this later case, we would not believe him to say that he bought it, because one does not buy a document. He only takes the document for the proof he has. He doesn't acquire the document itself. Since here he has no migoy that he could have said a better lie, over here we do not believe him. 
halachates. Yesemim shagovu karka bechayv shahoyu laviyim etzalachayim. Let's say there are heirs who have collected land as a result of money which is owed their father. Let's say Shimon has passed away, but Levi owed money to Shimon. So after Shimon dies, the heirs of Shimon can collect the, heir, the loan, the, the debt from Levi. If Levi has no money, they will collect his land, and they can take Levi's land and take it themselves. In this case, let's say Shimon himself owed money to someone else. Let's call him Reuben. Can Reuben grab away this land? It is permissible for the, the lender of their father, who their father owed money to, to go and take this land which they themselves collected. Because this land really belonged to their father. In other words, this is not land which came into the hands of the, of the heirs later on. In which case, Reuben would not be able to collect it. Because Reuben can only take things which belong to the father, not which belongs to the children. And if the children acquired it later on, Reuben would have no claim to it. However, over here, since Ru- Shimon lent money to Levi, and at the time he did so, all of Levi's belongings, including his land, were Meshubah subject to repayment of this loan. Since that was the situation, it is as if this land was in the possession of, Ru- of Shimon before he died. This really belonged to Shimon. Since it really belonged to Shimon, it was also Meshubit. It was also subject for Reuben to collect from it. And even though the, the Yusemim, the heirs, only take it after their father died, nevertheless, this land did not really belong to, to Levi. It really belonged to their father Shimon. Since it belonged to their father, he is allowed to collect it since Shimon's land is subject to the repayment of Reuben's loan. Halacha Yud. This interesting halacha is based on the statement in Halacha Zion that one is allowed to collect from the heirs, from the orphan, orphans, only from land and not from movable objects. Reuben sold a field to Shimon, and he took responsibility, took achrayas on the field, meaning that if, some, if Reuben should owe somebody money, and the person comes to Reuben to collect, and Reuben has no land, and the person grabs the field away from Shimon, then Reuben is responsible to pay for this loss of Shimon and responsible to return his money. So Shimon now has the field, but he does not pay right away. And Shimon converted the price he must pay for the field as a loan. He owes the money to Reuben. And before he pays, Reuben dies. And now the heirs are in charge of the estate. And along comes the one that Reuben owes money to, and evidently Reuben did not have any land. And the, the Balchev, the one that Reuben owes money to, has no land to collect his debt from. And now that the heirs are in control of the estate, he cannot collect from the movable objects. So therefore they come to the next person on the list, Litreif Mishimen Hasadeh, to take away the field from Shimon. Now Shimon could give back the field, and then demand the money from the Yusemim, from the orphans. But Shimon wishes to keep this field. So what does Shimon do? He figures that he has not yet paid for the field. So therefore, if he says Shimon b'mois, So Shimon satisfied this Reuven's debtor by giving him money. Since anyway, he had money which Reuven owed him. So instead of taking the field, Shimon just gives the money that he would have paid Reuven for the field. And he gives it to the one Reuven owes money to. So Shimon is now happy. He has his field. And he's paid the money instead of to Reuben, but to the one Reuben owes money to, so he figures he doesn't owe the, or- the orphans anything anymore. However, this doesn't work. Hadin Naisen, the law is, Shiyaveo Yorshe Reuben V'yitbu Shimon B'mil B'shezok 
that the heirs of Reuben's estate are allowed to come and claim the loan which is owed to their father Reuben. Why shouldn't it be that Shimon is released from his debt since he has paid off the one Reuben owes money to? So the Rambam says, no, Shahari Einim Mishuben this Lavalchiv Shul Reuben. This money which Shimon owed Reuven was not Meshuba to the one Reuven owes money to because this is metaltaline, it's a movable object or, or money. The Reuven can only be claimed. That is, the, the, the orphans, the heirs of Reuven's estate can only have land taken away from them as we learned in Allah Chazayin. But the one that Reuven owed money to, he cannot claim from the orphans money or movable objects, he can only claim land. So the money that Shimon owed the orphans of Reuven could not have ever been collected by the one Reuven owes money to. And therefore, by giving it to him directly, Shimon lost money that the orphans would have had. They have, now have a right to claim back this money from Shimon. So if Shimon gives money, to the one Reuven owed money to, he's going to have to pay double. First of all to him in order to keep the field, and a second time because he caused a loss to the orphans of Reuven. Lefichach, therefore, there's, a, there's still a way out for Shimon. Im Shimon pikach, if Shimon was very wise, and he could figure this out, that after he gave the money to the one that Reuven owed money to, and now he still owes to the orphans of Reuven, because Zokafel of the Milva, the money he was going to pay for the field is he borrowed. So Nisan Lahema Karka Shalokach Meruven Bemilva Shazokafel He should give the land which he bought from Reuven originally with the with the loan with the money he owes. He should give the actual land to the orphans. He could give this land. He could give other land as well. But let him give the land to the orphans. What does he gain by this? Although it seems he's paying double. He gave the money to the one Reuven owed money to. And now that he gave land as a gift to the orphans, he has nothing. However, we must remember that Reuven sold Shimon the field with Achrayas. That he took responsibility that if Shimon would get harmed as a result of a Baal Chay for somebody Reuven owed money for, Reuven will replace his money. Therefore, now he can claim this. Just like the one Reuven owed money to could collect from land, Shimon is also somebody that Reuven owes money to because Reuven took Achrayas for this field. Shimon now is owed money for the field because he had to pay Reuven's Balchev because Reuven's Balchev was going to take the field. And therefore, Shimon gave him money so he wouldn't take the field. Reuven now owns Shimon that money. Or rather, the... the the Yusainim, the orphans of Reuben, own this money. Now, although Shimon could not collect money, Shimon is allowed to collect land, because the land you could collect from the orphans. So therefore, now that Shimon gave the orphans the land, now he can take it away in exchange for the money that Reuben now owes him. The chazer of Atayraf, Isa Mayhem, he can now take the land away from them. In exchange for the money which he had to give to the one Reuben owed money to, in order that he should not take the field away from Shimon. Now, why is he allowed to take this land away from the orphans of Reuven? He bought this field with Achrayas from Reuven. Reuven took responsibility that if Shimon would end up losing money, because of money that Reuven owed, that Reuven will replace the money. This responsibility is passed over to the orphans. And although Shimon would not be able to collect it from money, he is able to collect it from land. So all he does is give that land which he has to the, to the orphans of Reuven, and then he can grab it away, since he bought the field with Achrayas. And now the final halach of the Perak halach Yid Aleph. Up until now, the Rambam has given us the law, according to the Gemara, that one cannot collect movable objects from the heirs, from the, from the, the orphans. 
However, in the times of the Ga'enim, this was changed. It has already been an established law by the later Ga'enim, that someone that is owed money is allowed to collect not only from the land of the heirs, but even from movable objects. That since most people start, were dealing with movable objects instead of land, that people would, were depending on movable objects, metaltalim, in order to have their loans repaid. And therefore, they extended this even to Yorshim. And this is the law, the way it is judged by the Jewish people in every court in the world. However, in one place, they went even beyond this. But in the West, apparently referring to North Africa, which is west of the land of Israel, they would write explicitly in all of the documents regarding loans that one is allowed to collect from land and from movable objects. And this applies whether the person is alive or even after he dead, was dead to collect from the estate of the orphans. So therefore, you don't need Takanas Haga'enim since you wrote explicitly in the document and any, any stipulation in the document is valid. So it turns out that he could collect based on this stipulation in the document even without the principle of the Ga'enim. And he can do it even even more than was possible as a result of the enactment of the Ga'enim. Because according to the enactment of the Ga'enim, the Magin Mishnah explains... According to that enactment, you could collect from the metalcaline only if there was no land. But according to this stipulation, you could collect from either one you wanted. And this is a tr- tremendously great safeguard they did by making such a condition to be written in the document. Why? Because this takes care of another possible problem. Perhaps the borrower will not know of this enactment of the Ga'inim. And in places where this enactment never spread, or it wasn't accepted, or they did have, not have it in mind, it would not be effective. And therefore, since the borrower did not have in mind that the lender would be able to collect, even from the movable objects of his orphans, in case he should die, the, 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 there is no requirement, there was no shibut of, this, of these metaltaling to the lender. And legally, the Takanas Ga'inim will not apply. It'll turn out that this, these belongings of the orphans will be taken away from them illegally. The enactments of the later period of the Ga'inim does not have the power to create a new requirement, a financial requirement upon the orphans. Only enactment of the Gemara has the power to be binding in every place. Enactments of the Ga'inim have to be accepted by people in various places in order to be fully accepted. And therefore, should it be a place where it's not fully accepted, or should the, lend, the borrower be unaware of this enactment, he does not have in mind that the, 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 the metaltalin should be meshubat to the Baal Chayv, and therefore he would be unable to collect them. And this is the reason why it's a siyagodl, an excellent idea, that they had Bamaida, that they wrote explicitly the stipulation in, this, in the document that they should be allowed to collect it even from the movable objects and even after death.